Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Welcome in to the StoryCraft Cafe. Thanks for joining us for another week of podcast. You know, we kicked off our 60-day challenge, the rewrite a novel with Dabble in 60 days um, a couple of weeks ago. And this past week, we talked about characters. And, you know, if you wrote that novel, you've got your first draft and you're looking back over it and you know we're taking this time to take an objective look at what we've written you know back in the fall when we wrote that first draft you give yourself a lot more grace in that uh in that creative endeavor but now is the time to really take a look at what we've done and really hold it up to the light and see if it accomplishes the job that we meant for it to and one of the crucial aspects of story some people would even say the most important part of story is characters and so this week we begin a discussion about characters and determining if our main protagonist are cutting the mustard if you will so join us uh you can tune in uh we're kind of Um, adjusting the schedule a little bit, finding what day works best for our audience and for our panelists. And uh, right now, that's going to be Thursday uh, at noon Eastern time. So you can join us this Thursday uh, uh, at noon at storycraft.cafe. And you can always find all of the uh, archives here on the podcast channel or over on our YouTube channel. Storycraft.cafe is the place, though, to you know, figure out how you want to consume all of this content. It's all posted there. Now on to our show. And we are live. Thanks for joining us here in the Storycraft Cafe. I am your host, Hank Garner, for the uh, our our new challenge that we're doing to rewrite a novel in sixty days with Dabble Challenge. And this has been a lot of fun. We kicked it off last week. Um, with our panelists Josh Hayes and Rick Partlow and Keo and me and this week we uh, are uh, I, I have to deal happy. with yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this week we're super happy to have Steve Bollier join us uh, also known as Jamie Castle depending on how you know Steve slash Jamie how um, you pronounce his last name <laughs> what's that I said it how you know him and how you pronounce his last name exactly, exactly. i mean it sounds it sounds just like it's spelled obviously oh yeah for sure exactly castle. Castle. Yeah, castle. <laughs> i think i've showed you this before but in my in my phone uh it saved steve baloo and as a picture of baloo the bear from <laughs> and, and that's uh you know just um the only celebrity i'm actually related to yeah <laughs> Baloo the bear yeah anyway um today i thought we would talk about characters you know when you when you finish that first draft and you are uh looking over it you know one of the you know there there are several things we need to determine do the characters uh do they play the role that we intended for them to do does the plot uh, move the story along does you know are we accomplishing what we want so one of the first places we want to start is talking about characters but before we do uh tomorrow in the storycraft cafe at 1 30 central time 2 30 eastern and then do the math for the rest of the time zones mark graney is gonna uh join us and we're gonna talk about his new book burner the new gray man novel if you've watched the gray man movie on Netflix, or if you've read any of Mark Graney's um, Jack Ryan books that he's written in the um, 
I'm drawing a blank. Clancy verse. Clancy verse. Thank I you. I wish you would have told me. I would have brought my burner book. It's upstairs. Uh, I, was, I was expecting a fanboy squeal from Josh. I know. Well, I, I metered my response because I didn't know that was coming. My first response was, "I want to be there, but uh, I'll I'll be watching." Mentioning uh, Grainy or Sanderson and Josh. I will. Yeah, Grainy and Sanderson. I've got to take a shot whenever I talk about them. So. <laughs> Granny is a super cool guy. Uh, I've interviewed him a couple of times before. Um, he's he's a he's an awesome guy to to get to pick the brain of. He's a he's a uh, he's an awesome guy. He's written some really fantastic stuff. So anyway, he's going to drop by tomorrow, and that'll be a Excellent. lot of fun. But um, Steve, we, you you kind of mentioned earlier in joking that that you and Rick don't really revise um since since this is your first week joining us tell us kind of what your process is like you know you you kind of joke that you don't revise but what does that mean would you like to revise that statement steve no yeah do i want to revise the statement no uh no i i don't really i don't have a, a draft process the first draft is typically the done draft um i do a read through um typically reading out loud it depends on what the book is right uh Let's let's stop right there and qualify that though, yeah. because um, you and I have talked a, a lot about writing processes, and and you um, have this process that you call uh, like onioning, where where you're. It's not that you take a revision pass on a book; you're constantly revising. So, <laughs> yeah, you it's, are revising, but it it's it's happening as you write. That process has evolved a little bit, probably since the last time you and I talked about it. I, okay. still, I still do it to a degree, but what <clears throat> I found is, of course, you know, we're on a dabble, um, dabble show, and I'm about to talk about another process, but um, <laughs> I also use dabble. Um, but I have something called the Remarkable Tablet, which yeah. is a handwriting tablet. Yeah. Uh, you scribble. And it figures out what you've just written and it converts it into computer text. So my first draft, I could never figure out what I've written. I know it works for me. <laughs> it also works for me because I'm running Athon. I've got two young kids. So I'm always, I'm just everywhere all the time. And I'm not always sitting at my computer when I want to write. Yeah. So I've got this tablet that I write a handwrite and then I take what I've handwritten and I put it into Dabble. And then from there, I do a revision on every chapter. Um, but it's still, I still consider it a first draft because I'm trying to make sense of what I hand wrote. Um, that's sort of my current process, which is still onioning. It still builds off of that. So I guess I could take chapter by chapter revision and talk about it Okay. to a full draft revision. And I think it would probably be about the same. Okay. So, um, it, it, and Rick, compare your, last time we talked about how, how much pre-planning goes into your writing and in a lot of ways that your your outline that you work on is a a draft of sorts um do you after you finish that draft do you ever uh do you look back and see that a character has not developed the way that you thought that it might because we, we did talk about sometimes um you know the characters sort of come alive you know that's one of the things that writers get to talk about that that nobody else does without people thinking that we're crazy that that, that characters kind of do their own thing um do you have a process for looking back and and seeing if the character arc is what you wanted it to be um no not after the book is done while okay. i'm writing it i will sometimes realize maybe you know part of the way through, like for instance, if a character is introduced in the first third of the book and by the second third, they're not getting the development I wanted, then sometimes I, I might go back in and add a few lines of dialogue or something, or more likely I will add that character development in the last third of the book. Right. Um, but usually I'm pretty, I'm pretty good about getting that in the outline, about catching things like that in the outline where if, if I see, if I'm writing the outline and I've gone all the way through and I look and I find this character doesn't have anything to do, then I can either add more stuff for them to do or just get rid of them. 
replace them with somebody who's already doing something else. I think the leaders, the, the the listeners and watchers should know that Rick has written like sixty. Well, that that's what I was about to say. We're we're talking about a pro- talking about a process that you find yourself at sixty some odd books into, um, and and we talked last week about you know was there a point where you realized that that you had kind of dialed it in and you had kind of understood your process? Um, did was there a a point where characters kind of clicked for you where you're like, you know what? I, I understand now what I need from characters for them to show up. Uh, because like you said, you know, if there's a character who, who, you know, on the page is, is not contributing much to the story. They're just kind of taking up space. W- was there a place where you, you kind of started to see that and realize it and understand what a character needs to bring to the story? Well, character, character has always been my strong suit. It's been like the strongest part of my writing is inventing, you know, good characters. That's what I kind right. of – when when I first started writing, before I, you know, finished my first book, before any of that, what I used to do was uh, write character sketches. I'd come up with a basic idea of what I wanted, and then I would start just writing character – little bios of characters – Back then, I was something of an artist. I fell out of practice and can't really draw anything anymore. But I used to be like pretty good sketching, and I would make sketches of the characters. You know, I would uh, give every detail about them I could think of, which probably looking at looking back on it was kind of a waste of time. But because you know, a lot most of that stuff never makes it into a book. But it right. helped me to be able to just build that character inside my head. And I think one of the great things about doing that back then when I was like a teenager Mm -hmm. was that now I don't feel the need to do that. And when I write a character, I keep that image in my head and never have to come out and say, this guy is six foot tall, 182 pounds, graduated with a degree in, uh, in, agriculture from the university of Georgia, you know, enjoys pottery. And yeah, I I don't have to put any of that in the book, but it's in my head. And I just write the character that way and let people fill in the details themselves. You know, I, I, it's one thing I try never to do, never ever to do. And I, I, this is getting far afield, but I hate it in a book when the first thing they do when they introduce a character is give like their vital stats. Right. No, I don't want to hear that. Give the first thing that the point of view character sees about him, and then reveal all that gradually. That bugs the heck out of me. Wait, you don't want them to stop in front of the mirror and adjust their curly shag mm-hmm. hair? <laughs> yeah, or it's worse when a man is writing a, a female character who's in front of the mirror. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. Yeah, I think we we all have have read those. The the only thing worse than that, Rick, is for a a, a writer to not give you any details, and then you kind of build the character in your mind, and then halfway through the book, then they give a dump of the character, and it's usually nothing like you. Well, have. except for in Starship Troopers, I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, everybody turned Juan Rico into themselves in their head, and at the end of the book, he's. Filipino, I think he's Filipino in the end of the book, you know, and he's, and and that was like a cool thing for me. It's like, yeah, he's, this is not who you expected. And that was like a very subtle way of uh, giving diversity to his characters because he's first, he makes you occupy this character's mind. And then you find out, oh, he does not look like me, but we're all the same. We're all the same. Right. Right. That, that is a clever way to, to handle that. You're right. You're right. And I tried um, to do that before too. Uh, there's a character in a couple, one of my books, there's a character goes like two books, I think before it just casually hap- happens to be mentioned that he's African-American. Didn't get mentioned before. Cause these guys are all soldiers. Right. They deal with people of other races every day. It's, everybody's green to them. And you know, it just happens. But I never made a big deal about that until was important to the plot. And I think that's how you reveal the details about a character is what's important to the plot, not info dumping it. 
Right, right. Uh, Keo, how how do you you're you're going over uh, a story that you had written um, a few years ago, um, revisiting some of these characters that you've created? What's that experience been like? Are you guys hearing a clicking? Yes. Yeah, I am. I have no idea where that popping's coming from. My guess it's it's Keo's connection or her microphone. That would be my guess. Yeah, let's see. Yep. 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 It's Keo's. Well, maybe that. Okay, I un I muted you and then unmuted you, Keo, and it seems to have cleared up. Yeah, oh, I felt sweet. like I was in an abandoned ghost ship, and like there was. <laughs> I probably should warn everybody. It's like some kind of uranium detector that was like like there's radiation on our screen. I should probably warn everyone. My internet connection sucks. It happens. It always it's always like a daytime thing for some reason. Mm. My internet always likes me at nighttime, but hates me during the day. Of other people using it, yeah, probably so. Probably. We seem to be okay now, though. Well, let's see how long this lasts. Yeah, might as well take advantage <laughs> of it. Right. All right. So characters, beautiful, except when you completely forget about them halfway through your story, <laughs> like I do. Um, funny enough, I actually have the uh, same process as Rick, where I usually notice while writing, mm -hmm. and then go back and like throw in some dialogue and some other fun stuff. Um, I've only had this issue so far once in the story that I'm working on. Yeah. And I've actually managed to fix it. Because I nice. only had I had this one character. They technically play a big role, but you only ever see them like once. So, if they play a big role, you gotta see them like more. It's just like maybe like one tiny scene, and then they're like gone for like the rest of the story. So I had to fix that. Gotcha. H have you devised a, a a plan for tracking characters and um, you know, kind of like you know Rick was talking about earlier, doing these character sheets and. And coming funny you know, enough, I do have a character tracker. Yeah, nice. Do, do does it allow you to track where they appear in the story? Yep. Nice, nice. Uh, I I wrote a story one time where I introduced a character in the beginning, and then I got to the end of the book, and I realized they went out for a sandwich or something and just never came back. That's, <laughs> that's you know, that's happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, was that like yeah. was that like the classic my dad left for milk milk yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah milk years ago and we haven't seen him since you're right <laughs> or if that's anyone's actual story that sucks my dad yeah. said he was gonna go out and get cigarettes and i never saw him again <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was a big pack of cigarettes he went to get Oh man, um, have you have you noticed anything, Keo? In in looking back over your characters, do you do you feel like they have uh, showed up and and done their job, so to speak? So far, surprisingly, yeah. Great, great. Um, are are there any metrics that you are using to um, uh, to judge them by? Um, kind of, but not really. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Well, if, if, if your characters are, are doing what, what you hope that they would do, you are, um, ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, they yeah, they're very cooperative in this story. They're actually doing what I want them to do. And it's beautiful. How do you get them to do that? Yeah. <laughs> Well, if it, you know we, I need I to know answer, because mine I would never, ever do. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, Josh, do, do you have a, um, you know, when you're starting on that second draft, you, last week you told us um, about this uh, conundrum that you had found yourself in and, and you know, realized that, that you had problems in book one that 
that only revealed themselves in the writing of book two. Uh, were any of those character related? And uh, how are you, uh, how do you look at your characters to see if they are doing what you hope that they would do? Uh, half of it was character related. Half of it was plot related. Um, okay. the, the character portion of it. One, when does one lead into the other, if there's a character yes. problem, does that then develop a plot problem? <clears throat> yes. And it can go both ways. You know, you can have a character problem that becomes a plot problem or a plot prop problem that becomes a character problem. I can't right. say that three times real fast. <laughs> um, but it, it was kind of half. Um, I, I needed the character to set up events that happened off screen in book one. And so I kind of had to understand that character and what his motivations were. Um, and um, that led into the plot plot problem uh, that I had to fix too. Um, a lot of times though, with my characters, if they're not like the central POV characters and even some of them, uh, some of their character aspects comes later on through the writing. I, I I find that I learn more about my characters as I write through the book. Um, you know, I, I start with very basic uh, information, but then as as I <clears throat> as I write, I develop more of an understanding of who they are as characters, and then I can go back in my second draft and flush all that out. Um, I mean, you mentioned ha having a guy at the beginning of your story that went out for a sandwich. I had <laughs> a a character in the beginning of book one um, that I thought was a throwaway character. And um, I needed a um, kind of a, yeah, I needed a sandwich. <laughs> um, I needed a character at the end of the book to push the main characters in the right direction uh, to go after a bad guy. And I realized that this character that I introduced way back in the beginning that was really just kind of a tertiary character that didn't do anything other than kind of set the stage a little bit for, for coming events. I realized that character I could bring back because he was at, he's at the same spot that these other characters are. I can bring him back and he can be the signpost. And all that took was a little bit of rework on who that character was and who he was working for. Basically he was, I set him up as kind of a, an accountant for, you know, a criminal group or whatever. And it turned out that he was skimming money from them. And so they, uh, sent him to this arena, uh, as kind of like punishment. Well, he knows where those guys, where their base is at. And so he is able to tell the main characters, this is probably where they went. And that's how I got the main characters from, point a to point b but at the first draft i there wasn't anything for that character to do other than just be there and then i was also able to tie that character in with another main pov because the other main pov starts out as kind of a bounty hunter that's how we fo uh, follow him and his very first scene is picking up this guy and bringing them bringing him to uh the people that ultimately uh imprison him and put him on this this prison place with the other main character so i was able to tie a lot of those events together um that were unconnected originally i was able to tie them together with a character that i had just written as a throwaway and a lot of that stuff happens in the second draft where i see where i need connection points made um i can flush out characters that that might not have a big role i can give them a bigger role um and i do that a lot in my second draft especially when i find major plot holes <laughs> that, that brings up a fairly interesting point so um a, a, additional to writing i i own athon books and um one of our sort of one of our things that we do a little bit differently than a lot of publishers is we don't generally publish somebody's book one until their series is done so if it's a three book series we want them to finish all three. That really sort of right. sucks for authors sometimes, if I'm being really yeah. honest. But there's a lot of authors that are perfectly happy of doing that. And um, we often find that they'll comment like Josh just did and thank us for that. Because what happens is you get to book two. This doesn't happen for everybody, but you get to book two and you have this idea that would actually make the rest of the series a ton better if I could go back into book one and adjust this paragraph. Mm -hmm. chapter whatever it is and we see that all the time and instead of book one is that, oh, now we've got to publish book two and now i've just got to make my book two story work with what's already published in book one and it might be a lesser story for it 
but that's one of the main reasons we do it is we want to make sure Rhett and I wrote the buried goddess saga and that was long and that was difficult. And there were times in book four that we would go back to book one and make some adjustments so that the story going forward was a better story. Uh, and you can only do that if you haven't published your books as they come out, sort of. Especially right. in the uh, in the indie space, where you know, in in more traditional, where one book is a, a usually a self-contained thing, and there may be like bigger plot arcs that are happening between books. Like you brought up the Gray Man. Each Gray Man book is a self-contained story. Um, there are greater events that are happening off-screen sometimes, but typically those do not affect the events in the individual books. And whereas in indie, most of the time you're going to have either a trilogy or a long running series where most of those events really need to line up correctly. And if you're, you know, if you're not able to go back and change it, you're going to have to do a lot of work on the back end to retcon in some great idea that you had, or it would fix a problem that you have somewhere else. And uh, I really, when we published the Valor Trilogy, it was one of the first books that Athon put out in uh, 2019. And we went back and forth on whether or not we were going to do uh, rapid release, all three at the same time. Oh, well, back to back and we went back and forth on <clears throat> do we wait to publish book one until we get to book two and three and and in my case book one i had written it as a standalone i hadn't planned a trilogy and so by the time i had that done i i was like oh well i i really just want to get this out there which was that was on me steve told me to wait and i was like i don't want to wait and uh uh, so we published it. It did well. Uh, books two and three followed on. Of course, it took me a little longer to write those, and they also did well. But I, I guarantee you it would have done a lot better had we done three in a row. And not only that, I would have been able to fix a lot of the character and plot issues in the subsequent books that we that uh, came up in the writing process. Anyway, sorry, I went on that uh, indie rant. I apologize. No, no, that's... Uh, um... I, I was uh, going to bring up the Buried Goddess Saga, Steve, because that was uh, uh, a a big series, uh, also um, very character-driven series, uh, epic fantasy. Um, did did you um, – and looks like uh, Keo just uh, commented that, uh, that her internet crashed, so that's why she's uh, had to drop out. Sorry, Keo, we'll – We'll see you when you can come back on. Um, Buried Goddess, did, did you write the whole series before you guys started publishing? I can't remember. We had a really interesting thing that happened. is We self-published it in um, early 2018 before we started Aethon Books. Yeah. Published book one, and immediately we had interest from some audio publishers um, that were willing to put a lot of money into picking that series up. Um, so we act, we pulled it down, we pulled book one down and we relaunched with, um, with audible studios simultaneously later in the remember that. That did, yeah. it gave us the opportunity, um, because we weren't going to do fast release and we yeah. actually immediately saw the failure that is releasing in the indie world without doing a quick release. And it has nothing to do with whether your book is good or bad or anything like that. It's just a matter of there's so many books that hit Amazon in a monthly period, you are forgotten about a year later. It's just the nature of it. It's like Netflix, right? You watch a season that drops and then you've got to wait a year until that next season comes out. You may or may not even care about jumping back in right. that particular series. Um, that said, so we, we waited nine, 10 months. And during that nine or 10 months, we finished um, several more books in series before we were doing the relaunch. Now, books five and six, we didn't have ready before the relaunch. So those two, we just had to deal with whatever we had created. And thankfully we had done in four books enough uh, of a foundation to understand what needed to happen in books five and six. But, you know, those were, those were giant books and book six was the hardest thing I've ever written. I've written 23 books, nowhere near Rick's uh, catalog, but like 23 books, book three was, or book six was like 200,000 words. So maybe, you know, consider that almost two books worth of material. 
and like 40,000 of it or something ridiculous like that was a was the end battle with multiple characters that came around and um you have to know your characters to know how they would behave right situations otherwise it comes off as a character out of character and that's something readers notice they know when a character does something out of character unless you've got a good excuse for it you just pegged yourself as a writer who was just trying to move that plot along and you didn't care about your character yeah um rick you uh you have a couple of long running series drop troopers the the one that immediately comes to mind um that you are actively uh writing ongoing um do you ever come into a situation where um a character presents a problem or a challenge and do you ever think oh i wish i could go back uh and change things in previous books or or how do you handle when when a character presents something and there, there is no going back because those books are published and out there and you know, how, how do you trudge forward? Really don't have that problem too much because a lot of the older characters are dead. <laughs> um, that helps. <laughs> I, I mean, you I, can't the send problem, them out for a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> I was going to say they die. They got, they got jumped while they were trying to buy a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. But that's the problem, though, and you get a long series like that, and it's it's a war series, military science fiction, right? And people die in war, and I keep losing characters I really wanted to keep around. But you know, you can't you can't have all these battles and all these desperate odds and not have somebody die. I mean, yeah. it's it's hard enough just making uh, making it realistic that the main character stays alive through all this, and it's first person, so he has to. But um, yeah, I, I've, I've, I have more difficulty uh, developing new supporting characters than I have that having you know supporting characters go out of character or, or ha- wanting them to do something that they wouldn't have done. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't really run into that, um, which I guess that's the blessing and curse of military science fiction. Is yeah. not being able to keep all those characters around forever. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because this is something that I've asked um, uh, authors who write ongoing series a lot. And since we were talking about Mark Graney earlier, um, I'm sure we'll talk about this tomorrow at some point. But when you have a a series character like the Gray Man, um, th- you're almost guaranteed that the main character is not going to die because if this is gray man, I'm, I'm not sure what number this is. 12. What 12 did you say? Yeah. Well, we're pretty sure there's going to be a gray man. Number 13. That's going to come out, you know, next spring. As long as Um, Mark Reedy wants to pay the mortgage. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So what do you do um, to keep the, uh, the, the stakes high, so that you want to keep coming back and you want to know that this character is in actual peril. Um, but you kind of know he's not going to die. Um, like there's some one, of the, one of the things is obviously, you know, you have to kill off supporting characters who are very close to him. Yeah. At the stakes. Um, I've had to do that. I, I mean, that's, that's a hard part about writing a book, a series this long is, I really felt bad about killing off some of these characters. You know, there was a, there was a character who had been around since book one and was just really important and a big part of, you know, uh, almost his family, the main character and book 11, or book 10, I think it was came around and they were in a really desperate situation. And I'm like, this just makes sense, you know, for, and, and I, and the other thing you do in military science fiction, especially, I don't know about others, but when you have a character who's being not really progression, but it's like who's building their maturity and their responsibility throughout the book, like you usually have in military science fiction. Mm-hmm. One of the things you have to do is kick the props out from underneath them. The, the people that they would lean on as crutches to, you know, for advice, you know, for to help them with their leadership, to help them with decisions they have to make. 
until at the end, you know, basically they have to be the one that makes the decisions and is the, you know, advises other people. So that's hard because a lot of those characters you built are your favorite ones and you, you have to just get rid of them because otherwise the main character is always going to go, Hey, you know, Sergeant so-and-so, what, what do you think we should do? Right. You know, Jim Butcher did uh, a really great thing in um, the Dresden Files, which is one of my favorite series in book oh, yeah. 15. Of course, I'm probably – listen, guys, these books have been out for 10 years. If you haven't read it yet, spoilers, cover your ears, whatever. But, like, in book 13, the end of book 12, um, Harry Dresden dies. He gets shot, and the book ends. Harry's dead. Um, book 13 starts, and he's he's a ghost. And the entire book is Harry Dresden as a ghost. And that creates new issues for him to deal with, not being corporeal and all of those things. And, um, how, you know, writing a series that is first person with, with the Black Badge series, um, we're constantly asking. And, and worse than it being first person, uh, James Crowley can't die. James Crowley is, is he's undead already. He's right. a, you know, he's a black badge brought back by heaven to fight hell basically. And right. So there's, there's some things that are a threat to him, but not only is he the, the main character who you just assume he's not going to die. Like how's he going to die anyway? So every, every book we write, we just finished uh, book two, which is actually book three uh, because of the novella. But like every time we go, okay, so what's the stake here? And in book one, we had to we had to show the reader that at any time, heaven can go. We don't need you anymore. And there's a genuine threat from his sort of beholden uh, authority, whatever. Right. And then in in book two, well, we already got that threat. So now what's next, right? So we had to introduce the the big bad villain from hell that could that could tear him down. Um, and so every every time you're writing one of these books, you know, we wrote the Buried Goddess Saga. I knew I wanted a main character at the end of the book. I wanted him. To, I knew I wanted him to die the moment I started writing book one. Uh, I won't tell you who that is. Again, spoilers. But by the time we got to book six, a million words later, a uh, hundred listening hours later, if you're an audio person, like we got to the end of that book. And up until that chapter, Rhett and I were fighting about whether or not this guy was going to die. <laughs> And or girl, guy or girl, sorry. They yeah. <laughs> uh, there are several POVs. So How you dare you assume their gender? Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I was about to say you have multiple POVs. In that I just I so. gave away that it was one of the men, and I didn't mean to do that. Um, but the fact is, when we got there, I called Rhett. I was the one saying we can't kill him, we can't kill him. I wanted to kill him. And I called Rhett and I'm like, we have to kill him. There's no there's no other way. We built to this for six books. And he's like, finally, I don't want to do it either, but finally you agree with me. And of all of my fan mail that I get, the the number one thing we hear is, is sort of thank you. There's a lot of BS in that email. How dare yeah. you? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> At the end, it's always thank you. Cause like that was what had to happen for the story. I love it. I love it. And yeah, sometimes uh, a finality for a character is the only legitimate payoff for that character. And sometimes that means no more books, but you know, that it, it is what it is. When I roll a D 20, I think I've told you this before. I, I roll a D 20 when my characters are, are in peril and I had a list during the buried goddess saga of what I had to roll for that character to die. And I was sitting at Starbucks writing books, four and i had my d20 and i got to this moment and i rolled the d20 and it landed where it needed to land for this particular character to die i sat in starbucks crying <laughs> i can't imagine the image of steve sitting in starbucks at a table rolling a d20 what the hell is he doing <laughs> I, I literally no, cried is... man i was so i was not okay with this particular character dying um but but in an epic fantasy, for there to be any stakes, I almost feel like there has to be an outside source in 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 uh, in informing whether or not what you want to do is what needs to happen. Right. 
Well, th that's a that's a problem only a pantser can can uh, can come up with. You know, I, I can imagine. Uh, I I don't I don't imagine that Rick Partlow has ever rolled a d twenty to to figure out what's going to happen in the next. No, but talk. I have had characters who died and I didn't had not intended them to die. Um, Same. I, I even though I plot very you know detailed plots. Um, I get to the end of the book, I usually leave my outline a little bit less exact for the end of the book because I know as the book builds up, certain things are going to build momentum without me intending them to. Yeah. You feel when a character needs to die. You can feel when a big event needs to happen. There, In Drop Trooper, in that series, uh, there's been many times where I had events that were going to take place in the next book. And I just felt the momentum building up in this book. It's like, I gotta, I gotta change it. I'll have to come up with something else in the next book. Cause this needs to happen at the end of this book. Well, that's a, that's a great thing that you brought up Rick, because uh, I know that you have started new series uh, in the recent past. And do you think um, in terms of, book by book or are you thinking in terms of series and does it does that difference in thinking affect the way your characters behave for instance if you're thinking about one book at a time and this is going to be an ongoing story but you're not necessarily thinking of a particular arc um do you approach your characters differently than if you're writing the first in a trilogy and you know that these characters have to wind up at a certain point um, does that make you approach them differently? When I write um, an outline for a series, I usually don't go into much detail for the for the second, third, etc. books. Yeah. Because unless I have to, and like for a publisher wants a detailed outline for it, because uh, I know that as you write the first book, some characters are going to develop a life of their own and you're going to want to do something different with them. I know that certain events may change order by the end of the book. You know, as you get a feel for it, you may want to change things. So I try not to go into too great of a detail. I just have like a general idea. The second book is going to be them doing this. And then the third book is going to be them doing this. So uh, I don't even include what characters live or die except for the main ones in those i i have no idea because i want to get a feel for things in the first book first so i generally don't make a detailed outline of anything except the first book until after i'm done with the first book well to be fair to rick as rick's publisher he's got another guy going hey i need three more of those books <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, you know what I found too, uh, especially with character deaths and, and being either uh, just accidental or unseen, I've done uh, two, well, f two books in two different series um, that I start out the book and tell everyone that the character dies. Um, in Strikers you need to, War. You mean John dies at the end? Yeah. In uh in Strikers War, my Galaxy's Edge book, the, the first chapter literally starts with one of the characters writing to his parents and says, If you're getting this letter, it's because I died. And so you uh, like before you even started the book, you know someone's going to die. And at that point, you're just trying to you figure out who and how. Um, and in Edge of Valor, uh the book starts after this mission has gone horribly wrong. And we know all of these characters have died, but we don't know how or why. And so a lot of the the book was centered around what happened, why did they die, and how did they die. And a, a lot of that mystery is, is really intriguing, uh, to me anyway. Um, I mean, you mentioned the, the gray man and knowing that he's got to survive right. uh, between books. Right at the beginning of Burner, I'm not going to spoil it or whatever, um, there is a fight that uh, he is going through. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, nah, he's going to get out of it. But, I mean, the fight goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And you're like, how the hell is he going to get out of it? Like, yeah. And so I want to know, like, what is he going to do 
that's going to turn the tide in this in this small scene like it's a sequence that lasts like two three chapters or whatever and uh um it the how i think is way more important than the win that's yeah. for me that's, that's a huge tv uh trope right you, you got that cold open where the character is in a uh uh, a situation that they can't possibly find them themselves out of. Right. Yeah. And especially I think as a writer, I watch that and I go, all right, now how, how's, how are they going to do this? Right. Yeah. Uh, to a, to a casual watcher, they might go, how's the character going to do this? I'm sitting there going, how's the writer's room going to pull this off? 100%. In a way that is believable. Yeah. And most of the time I would say it's believable. There's some yeah. times when you go, ah, eh, that's, that was contrived. Uh, right. You know, it's funny you, know, you say that. Um, I remember reading a book. It was a science fiction book. Not that great of a book, honestly, but I was impressed with something like that where he got his characters into this situation, and I'm like, okay, they're all going to die here. There's just no way out. Yeah. And he managed to get them out of it in a way that made sense and did not involve a DSS mach machina coming in and saving them or somebody you hadn't met yet that just – stumbles on them or some you know, coincidence he got them out in a way that made sense and was not easy and couldn't have been easy to write and i just right that was impressive to me in an otherwise I, impressive book. i think that's why we love high stories so much yeah. is yeah how they possible situation and how do they solve the puzzle you know one of the biggest problems i have that that elongates my writing time uh lengthens my writing time is i hate easy button uh, uh, you know, you had the target easy button. Um, and, and there's so many, uh, writers that think they've got a great situation and then they are like, Oh, I'll just bring in the dragon and we'll kill everybody and we'll win. And I'm like, that's too easy. It's too easy. Like you, right. you need to make it hard on your characters to get what they want. And you need to make the reader doubt that the character can do it. It's yeah. that doubt that will push them to read and find and follow the characters as they do it. And if you doubt the character, not that he could do it, but that he can succeed. Um, if you're questioning that and you want to see how he does it, or if he can, that's going to push your reader through the book. So like that, but, but again, it's, it's like Rick said, if you come up with a situation that's going to be extremely tough for your characters to get out of, it's going to be super hard to write. It's yeah. not going to be, and it shouldn't be easy. If it's if it's easy to write, then you need to figure out a different way to do it. Yeah, because it's, it's not going to be way. it's not going to be entertaining. It's not going to be intriguing. Everybody's going to know what you're doing, and they're not going to be interested in reading through the to the end. I have to go on the record as disagreeing with Josh. The easy button, <gasps> easy button is from Staples. Uh, yeah. Oh, it is from Staples. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I always advocate for reading, right? Writers read, right? You have to read if you're a writer. But I almost feel like saying, uh, I am going to say, if you want to really understand story, finding good movies, good TV shows that do things mm -hmm. in a condensed yeah. fashion, right? It's one thing to write a story in 100,000 words. It's another one to tell a good story in 45 minutes that's yep. compact and condensed. And another one, video games might have the best story out of any medium on the planet right now, right? Like video yeah. game stories take it. They're incredible, right? They, yeah. You can find some really great stories out there. But I'll give you an example of one that I came across recently, a, a show that was a great example of how not to do this particular thing. And it was Deep Space Nine uh, season seven, I believe it was. It was it was an episode where sister. I no, uh, maybe I did say recently. I didn't. I, I think I recently watched it, so it's okay. Um, Cisco is showing telling, their age. He, yeah, right. <laughs> he was telling the story of how they lost. Right, it's a narrative story from the beginning. Cisco's looking at the camera, telling the 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 watcher, "Here's how we lost, and it was horrible, and it was." And he was saying things that were definitively we lost and here's how it happened. It was the worst day ever, yada, yada, yada. At the end of the show, he goes, but it all turned around. <laughs> and I sat there going, you just spent 40 minutes telling us how horrible this all was. Right. And definitively telling us you lost. You can't just at that point go, ah, uh -uh, I'm kidding. 
That's yeah. it was awful. It, it it blew my mind that the writers got away with that and and nobody fired them. One of the best examples I've seen um, in like total uh, circular storytelling as far as character uh, arc goes. And, and Steve's absolutely right. In the condensed form, like TV and movies is really good for you to learn character and story because they do it really well most of the time. Um, surprisingly, uh, New Amsterdam, which is, a sh I think it's a show on regular TV, but it's on Netflix. That's where I watched it. It's a, it's a medical show um the first episode as far as in my opinion the f episode one is probably the most perfect episodic story i've ever seen in my life um because they you know it's a tv show so it's set up for 45 minute runtime but you have multiple characters i think you have four or five plot threads that connect those characters through the show not only do they open every single one without like on the nose dialogue or anything like that it's all organic and the way that all the plot threads open in order is organic but then they all close in the right order and they all close at the end of the episode uh, some of them happen with dialogue. Some of them happen with like a five second camera pan over something that's happening in the hospital and the audience knows, oh, okay, they managed to make this happen. It's a feel good show, right? So at the end of every episode, it's got to feel good. But at just from a strictly storytelling character perspective, that first episode introduces, opens th plot threads and then closes them all almost perfectly. What what is Max the main character say? Was help me help you? Or, yeah, uh, yeah help. Let me um, let me let me help me help you or so, yeah something, something like that. Something like that. But yeah, that that's kind of an ongoing thing all the way through the series. Yeah. Um. An, another book um from last year, Josh that that made me think of uh of um of, of characters and keeping them moving forward, but not exactly knowing where they are. Uh, is heat too because it has oh yeah forwards and flashbacks yeah through the book and you're you're like you're learning more about the characters but then you're learning about things that they've done and I I can only imagine the nightmare it had to be to track all those storylines but I'm curious when you read it did you hear Al Pacino every time like Vincent Hanna talk million percent I uh that that book I think if you if you look at it from a structure standpoint, there are three timelines. Yeah. And they bounce between them and eventually converge. Um, but it's it's interesting because it's 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 a sequel while simultaneously being a prequel to the movie. Exactly. And it starts minutes after the movie ends, and uh it ends several eh, days or it's sometime after the movie right um uh but it also tracks events that happened years before um right. and the way that they i liked that they did it in big chunks yeah um like they follow uh you introduce hannah's character and you follow him for several chapters before you jump somewhere else, or timeline before you jump several they did very good um character development on characters that already had been developed right we already knew them from the movie but they expanded on a lot of the things that we didn't see like we got to see uh chris Shaherless meet uh his wife and find like see the where the spark of that connection came from and why he was so dedicated to her and stuff like that um i thought those were really cool uh moments in the book I think Solo was another really, to me, a really good example. I, I apologize to all of you who hated Solo. I don't understand the hate for that. You know, there was the argument, why do we need that? We already know he's not going to die. We know Chewbacca's not going to die. I don't think that that's the point of every story, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I agree. Whether a character lives or dies is not the ultimate goal. Right. I but see it is a major thing that I can't stand prequels myself. No, I understand that I don't like prequels. I, I totally get that, right? But I also see reviews on Amazon all the time. As a publisher, I watch the reviews of every book we publish. We have a thousand something books, right? Um, I cannot stand when people review a book negatively because it was quote unquote predictable. Not every freaking book needs to be unpredictable. 
Right. The, the journey that we take on the process to the predictable is often as entertaining as the, the reveal. Mysteries need to be mysterious. Thrillers need to be thrilling. Not all fiction needs to blow your mind because of right. some twist or turn. Um, Solo, for me, I thought was, was uh, really entertaining, wildly entertaining. It was fun <laughs> Solo, but like take Solo out of it and just watch it for the film that it was. Yeah. And I thought it was a tremendous film. And it's a good example of how you take a character that's already established and still give joy in the storytelling. I mean, the the look at Rogue One, all the most of the main characters die at the end of that movie. Yeah. Right. And even even that, I think that works better for me, though, than Solo, because I don't know any of those characters. I'm not seeing, you know, a rehash of characters I already found later on. So I know how they end up. Yeah, but take the trash, uh, New Hope. Take that, take that awful trilogy that is only good for nostalgia glasses out of the mix completely, and watch Solo. Yeah, it's a, which, it's which a trilogy. Original. It's garbage. It's bad acting. It's bad storytelling. There's plot holes. Empire Strikes Back awful. is one of the the best science fiction movies ever. Uh, as a single, sure. Yeah, as a single, I agree. You didn't say that. Rogue One. I think is better than Empire. Movie. Look at look at Hank. Hank, we've taken over. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would agree with you on Return of the Jedi, but Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars were even Star even though Star Wars wasn't as good as Empire, it was a it was still a really good movie with the beginning, a middle, and an end, everything contained in it. The acting wasn't great. The acting's horrible. <laughs> yeah, but Mark Hamill is an icon. It Mark who? Hamill. 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 Yeah. <laughs> um, he's only played a wicked good joker. He's only been a super, superstar since 1977. Um, <laughs> Mark Hamill. Yeah, what? Yeah. I I, we I do don't know, man. I just, just the thing about Solo. The thing about Solo is it felt to me like they're answering questions that nobody had asked. Maybe, but but isn't that what we do in every single book we write? Yeah. Nobody gives a crap about Jamie Castle's books. I answer questions they didn't ask. And so what they did was they took a character that everyone loved and they sent him back in time and they went, here's how it happened. And here's why he's called Solo. I actually thought that was brilliant. Um, like I thought that that moment was was unnecessary, but but brilliant. And then we get Amelia Clark, who added a tremendous value to that whole. What do you what do you say to the people who say? I want a little bit more mystery in Hansel's past. I don't need to know those details. Um, then don't watch it. Yeah, uh, then skip it. Don't. And here, I guess here's my big beef is that when somebody complains about something, they didn't want to watch it or read it to begin with. They did it just to bitch about it. And it's like, there's plenty <laughs> of other things out there. Go do that instead and let us enjoy the things that we enjoy, right? Like as much as I'll say those first three Star Wars movies to me were, were I mean, I, they're nostalgic and I grew up with them, but I would never say you're an idiot for liking them. Like just enjoy it because you enjoy yeah. it. And I think that's the problem we have. Anyway, we can get out on that tangent, but like, that's <laughs> society today is no one lets you enjoy anything. Well, we are, we're running up on the end of our hour. This has been a very fast hour, but before we go, let, let's leave on, uh, on an actionable thought. If, if someone is now visiting um, their, their book that they've written and you know, it's, it's kind of in rough shape and, and they're wanting to, to whip it into a, uh, a manuscript that works with characters that are engaging and, and characters that readers want to care about um, where would you recommend? And I'll, I'll go around and get, uh, get each of your input here. Um, where would you recommend starting so that you can look at your characters with a with a critical eye and and determine whether they are uh, good characters, whether they're characters people will care about? What what qualities should they look for to see if their characters are doing what they should do to move the story forward? Steve, what what do you think? Uh, I think my the what I like to do and something that I would encourage writers to do is um, I mean it doesn't have to be long but I I always try to write an essay from the point of view of the character even if it's a third person point of view 
I'm, I will write a page that has nothing to do with the story that I'm writing that um, if I were in uh, an AA meeting, I don't know, that's probably a bad example. If I were first first day in high school, right? Like, and the teacher said, everybody introduce yourself. I don't know, AA came up. I don't know why. I, no, I love that you went from AA meeting to first day in high school. Like, that, <laughs> like your what? First day, your first AA meeting in high school. Yeah. I realized that's how I was thinking. Like, I've never been to an AA meeting, so I have no idea what you do there. And I went, don't do that. Um, first day in high school, like, introduce yourself. And so I'll take that character. I'll put him in the time period that he's in surrounded by the things that he's surrounded in. And I will tell the story of who that character is. So I understand who that character is before I start writing him uh, or her. Um, and, and is he like, I don't know. Do you like him? Do you like her? Like if you were reading this book, would you care about this person? Remember you can write a douchebag that people care about. Yeah. Right. And you can write, you can write characters that people hate and that's the whole point of the character right is that they hate them and you want them to hate them yeah you hate them but you want them to be in the book yeah. for sure yeah. yeah right yeah so for starting point is do you like this character that you're writing yeah. is this character an easy thing to write and i'm not talking about staples easy button i'm talking about is this character um inside of you in a way that you can tell the story as a songwriter uh, I, I always use this thing. If I'm trying to write a song, I'm not supposed to write that song. Uh, if I'm trying, it's not in me to begin with. Right. And it's the same thing with books. Uh, if it's not in you, you're forcing something out. It's going to come that way to the readers, I think, as well. Great, great. Uh, Josh, what, what what can folks do to, to take a critical eye to their characters? Um, I, I think that depending on what kind of character you're writing like you if your draft is done and you have several characters that you're like i'm not sure if they're meeting their full potential in the book as a singular character then what i do is i focus on one character at a time and i look at who i think that character is and how I think that their attitudes and preferences and just view of the world is. If it's a serious character, then I will go and, and look at other characters that I am familiar with, like from movies or TV, that have the same type of demeanor as the character that I'm studying. Um, for instance, for the main character in Weaponized, I modeled him very highly on Bruce's, Bruce Willis's character from Tears of the Sun. Um, so if I'm ever doubtful on what I think they should do or how I think they should be reacting in this situation, I just go watch that movie and I watch it very critically and watch what the characters do. And then I try to replicate that in my story. If it's a funny character, find a, a, a movie or a show that has a funny secondary character, you know, um, like the Marvel movies are a great place to start there because they genuine generally have a lot of like side quippy humor um that you can throw into your book either through dialogue or through happening that can do that and you just find that particular trait that you're wanting to manifest in your writing and study that individually and then carry through that all the way to the book and then start over do the next character um so and by the time go w ahead wwbwd WWBWD. What would Bruce Willis do? Yippee Kaye! Yippee Kaye! I love it's it. A, it's a Christmas movie. You cannot convince me otherwise. I really want to hear Rick's answer because Rick Yippee is Kaye, Melon Farmer, yeah. um, the resident. mother trucker. Yeah, I want to learn from Rick. My is it my turn? Yeah, it is your turn, Rick. Okay. Um, this is going to sound drastic, but if you got a book that's kind of a mess that uh, you want to salvage, like you were saying, my opinion would be try to write another book with the same character and see if you still care about them. That's good. That is that is great. That is great. I mean, if the character's good, yeah. you you'll be able to write another story with them, and you it won't matter that you left behind this plot that you used to figure for the mess <laughs> yeah. and and you'll and you'll say yeah this is a good character i should go back 
and rewrite that other book and make it better to do them justice. It, yeah, it that's might actually, just that's a really good idea, actually. That is a great idea. That is a great idea. I was going to say, it might just be you like the story you were going to tell and you don't really care about the character. Could be. Could be. Ah, oh, man, that's you. You just you just messed up a lot of people's day, but um, but in a great way. Way to set that up at the end of the show, so we can't talk about it, Rick. <laughs> oh man, I love it. Well, that has been our discussion this week on characters. Uh, join us again next week where we're going to talk about. I'm I'm not exactly sure what we're going to talk about. But it's going to be fantastic. We'll talk about oh, yeah. yeah, Star Wars. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so join us. Uh, follow us over at Storycraft.cafe, and uh, I'll post there when our next broadcast is going to be. Be sure to join us tomorrow at uh, two thirty Eastern Time, one thirty Central, uh, twelve thirty Mountain, eleven thirty Pacific, where we're going to talk with Mark Craney. Uh, as always, thanks guys for showing up and uh, for letting us pick your brain for a while. Absolutely. Thanks for letting me be here. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk with authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the Storycraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode. The Storycraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool shouldn't be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at DabbleWriter.com and start your free trial. Thanks for listening.